Welcome to the Redemption 10P podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. I'm your co-host, AC. I'm joined today with my co-host, Greg Lindsay. What's up, AC? What's going on, Greg? What do you got for us today? Dude, it's always good to be on the podcast with you. I feel like because you and I are the ones that edit these these bad boys, uh, it's not often that we get to be on them together. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's good to be to be back in the co-pilot seat with you. Um, yeah, I'm excited. We are starting our new series on Jonah, and we're doing a little different with the podcasts. Um, we've mentioned this before. Uh, we talked about it, me, Ricardo and Josh, um, in last week's podcast, but we want to take this series to talk about some God stories, to Mm. hear some God stories. Mm -hmm. We've been doing this podcast, um, for a number of months now. And then, you know, even before that we did it for a year during the true, true story project. Typically the way that we do it is we talk about the sermon. We talk about some of the theological concepts we hear from some people and how we apply that, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. But something we've been doing as Redemption Big R, like as a whole, anytime we do big leadership collective meet- meetups with leaders from the different congregations and things like that is we're hearing God stories. And and the idea behind God stories is the focus is on God and not on the people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's how God meets us and works amongst our congregation. So what we're doing through Jonah is um, Jonah has four chapters. The series has five weeks. Um, one of the weeks, we're just focusing in on one particular verse in chapter two um, on salvation. And so each week, we're looking at the theme of that um, chapter or that area of of the book of Jonah. And um, we're going to hear some God stories related to that theme. Mm. So um, one important note about these, uh, and this is the part that I actually love the most, is these are always a work in progress. Mm-hmm. These are always about God moving in the, the lives of broken people. Mm-hmm. So um, this is just sort of a disclaimer, and, and we'll say this before all of our episodes here is just a reminder that these aren't people who have it all figured out. Right. These aren't people who worked their way into these good things. This is These are stories of a loving God who pursues his people despite our brokenness. So, you know, if you hear one of the stories and someone says something that theologically might not fully click with you or whatever, that's not the point of these. The point of these, we are focusing on God and what he's doing. Um, there's going to be one week in particular where we're hearing people's stories of, of how God saved them. Mm. And we're still working out the details of all these podcasts as we're recording this right now, even. But my hope is to get someone who's really new to the faith. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, I mean, people might say things like, I don't know how I feel about this part, but I know that Jesus is Lord and I'm I'm open to how he's going to move and um, different things like that. So um, listen to these not as, is this right or wrong? Or do I theologically fully land there or not? I mean, there's nothing that's going to be too crazy, but mm-hmm. little details. Don't get caught up on that. Get caught up on the wonder and awe and splendor of God moving in the lives of his people in, in miraculous ways. <clears throat> so this first week for today, we're going to hear um, about rebellion. So in Jonah chapter one, God calls him to preach to the Ninevites and he basically says no. Mm. And there's a lot of imagery in this chapter where God calls him up, up, up. God is up and Jonah goes down, down, down all mm. the way to the belly belly of the fish. He runs away from the call of God. He rebels um, from God. And so we're going to hear some stories today of people um, in the midst of rebellion and all different types of rebellion, which I think all of us, if not the large majority, um, can relate to at some point in our life, uh, maybe even right now. Mm -hmm. And so what I, what my prayer is during today's 
episode is um, as you hear these stories, I hope that you hear um, similar uh, themes to your own story. And what we are um, celebrating today is how God it's not up to us. It's not about us. It's about God and God meeting us in the midst of our struggles and our rebellion when we think we have it all figured out and we don't and God shows up anyway. Mm. So we're going to hear uh, a few stories today um, about that rebellion. Um, and and yeah, that's what we've got queued up for this week. Awesome. Let's hear them. All right. So our first story for this week on rebellion, uh, I am excited to say is Mr. John Crawford. John, uh, if you don't know him, he's one of the pastors here. Um, I'm going to let him kind of take over and, and share a little bit more about himself and then tell his story uh, of rebellion and how God met him in that place. So John, it's good to have you. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and, and share your story with us. Yeah, thanks, Greg. Good to, good to be on here. Yeah, so my name is John Crawford. As Greg said, I am one of the pastors here at Redemption Tempe. Um, I oversee all of our communities, everything that that entails uh, under Redemption Communities and DNA and all of the things that have to do with getting connected here at Redemption. My wife and I um, have been married for a decade now, and we actually just uh, we started coming to Redemption Tempe back when it was Praxis, uh, the week after we got married. So we've been part of this congregation for about 10 years. We've got three little boys, Wyatt, Jonah, and Silas, ranging from about nine months old to six years old. So we, uh, we love being a part of the community here, and it's, it's just been an absolute privilege and joy to be able to serve as a pastor here on staff. So I want to take just a few minutes to share a bit of my story of rebellion because my, my story may be unique. I feel like a lot of times when we uh, hear about rebellion stories, it's typically somebody that did not grow up in the church and, you know, met Jesus later in life and they had never been exposed to the gospel of Christianity and they kind of lived a life of rebellion until they got exposed to the gospel. Uh, my story is actually unique in that I actually grew up in a evangelical home. My parents uh, have been married for many, many years, and they are uh, faithfully following Jesus. And I was raised in a, in a great home and grew up going to a, a really solid church here in the valley. I was born and raised here. And so my story of rebellion is a bit different. Um, growing up in the church, um, I was exposed to the gospel. I was a part of youth group. I, was, I did the Awana thing when I was young. I went on mission trips and uh, even went to Christian high school here in the Valley. And unfortunately, my experience within the Christian community and the church was was not a very positive one. And especially being a part of a Christian school, Christian education, um, it, it kind of complicated things because uh, I was kind of the, um, not reject, but in a way I was viewed as kind of the rebel in Christian school because I didn't fit the typical mold of what a conservative Christian teenager would look like or necessarily be um, kind of involved in. And so I grew up uh, in high school being into skateboarding, punk rock music. And back in the late 90s within kind of the evangelical world, that was that was kind of abnormal. And so uh, my experience with uh, Christianity and the church, largely due to my Christian school experience, was actually quite negative. Um, and my brother had uh, gotten his girlfriend pregnant in high school at the Christian school. And the way that they handled that was uh, not very Christian-like at all. And therefore, um, my family kind of was 
you know, we, we got a bad reputation, became the, the brunt of the gossip within the small Christian school. And this was on top of um, already kind of feeling like I was an outcast within that community. And so um, about the time I was 16, I had consciously made the choice that I didn't want anything to do with Christianity. I didn't like Christians. I didn't want to be a part of the church and uh, still kind of went to church with my family to appease them. But uh, when I graduated high school, when I was 17, I, I essentially gave Christians the middle finger, uh, told God, hey, I don't want anything to do with the church, Christianity, um, really anything to do with you, God. And so for the next uh, almost five years, just shy of five years, I literally um, did whatever I wanted. And I consciously made the decision to rebel against Christianity and, and the church. And therefore, I actually lived for um, the idol of myself. And so I got into um, hairdressing at uh, right out of high school. I went to hair school instead of college and, and I started doing hair. And God in his providence actually allowed me to to be very successful and to do the things that I wanted to do. And I think that that was actually by his grace because it was in that that he actually uh, was pursuing me and and found me and drew me back to himself. And so um, how that played out was my God essentially was my career, my success, the amount of money I could make, very materialistic. I was eating, breathing, sleeping my career and I wanted to be very successful. A lot of that was from being extremely prideful um, and and really wanting to be the best and to trample on top of people and to make a lot of money. And at a very young age, God actually allowed me to do that. And I became um, a well-known within the hairdressing community at a young age. And I really wanted to run a salon and have my own salon. And, and I worked for a, a really, really prominent um, high-end salon here within the Valley. And, and I actually started running that salon at, at a young age. And it was in that where I'm pursuing this as my God, the Lord actually allowed me to get there. And once I got there, I actually felt completely empty and felt this void. It was that God actually awakened me to see that everything that I had been living for for the last five years, I thought would culminate in, you know, satisfaction and, in you know, this life of pleasure and, and things would be great when actually it was the opposite. I got to where I wanted to be and I actually felt miserable. I, I felt empty. There was this void. And because I had been exposed to Christianity, because I had been exposed to the gospel before when I was growing up, when I was in that place, it actually led to, um, for the first time, first time in my life, almost an existential crisis. For the first time in my life, I actually felt depressed because when you put all of your stock, all of your hope, all of your energy into one thing and it doesn't pan out, you're actually left with nothing. And so there was this miserable hopelessness where I actually had this crisis of, do I even continue in this career? Do I need to have a career change? And throughout a, throughout a series of events, and because I actually believe um, in the power of prayer, and my mom loves the Lord and is a woman of prayer who prays faithfully and who had been praying for me for many years, I believe that God heard her prayers and her pleading that I would come back and follow him, um, God actually intervened in my life and pursued me in the same way that he pursued Jonah, right? He allowed Jonah to get on this boat and to run, but he didn't allow him to go all that far. And in the same way, God allowed me to run 
for a lot longer than Jonah ran, and for mine was about five years, but God actually revealed himself to me, and through a crazy series of events, through a co-worker that I worked with at the salon, um, who come to find out I was working out at my apartment complex. This is when I was 21 years old, just to give you guys a time frame. I was 21. I'm living on my own in an apartment. I'm working out at the apartment gym. One of my coworkers from the salon, I didn't even know at the time, but he lived in the same apartment complex. This dude was was and still is a, a Christian and, and loves Jesus. And I'm at the gym working out and he's going to fill up his water. Um, you know, the big water jugs at the apartment. And we have this interaction at the apartment complex. And he's like, Hey, man, how are you doing? And I start kind of, you know, pouring my heart out to him. And he was like, Hey, man, I knew that you were, you know, you grew up in the church and knew that you were a Christian. Um, like, dude, I go to this church and it was a church here in the East Valley. I was living in, in Chandler at the time. And he's like, I think you'd actually like it. You know, you should come check it out. And so he invited me and I was already in this crisis of, man, I, I, I'm miserable. There's got to be more. I believe that there was a God, but I had been running from him. And so God used this invite um, to where my wife and I were actually um, dating at the time. We weren't yet engaged and we actually started to attend this church. And it was within the first month of attending, um, it's a big mega church, the lead pastor that was preaching had never met me in my entire life, didn't know me. But in this service, a couple weeks after we started going, it was as if this pastor had been following me around with, with a video camera recording my life from the last year. It was as if he knew my story, knew the things that I was struggling with, knew the pain that I was feeling. And in that, he was speaking prophetically to me, which was not just him, the pastor, but God was speaking through this man who had never met me by the power of his spirit to actually awaken me, to grab a hold of my heart and my affections. It was the first time that I ever felt true conviction of my rebellion against God, conviction of my sin, which was the first time that I ever really truly repented and experienced the grace of God and experienced the power of the spirit. And that would that would be what I would call my conversion. Not everybody has a moment of conversion, but I remember very, very vividly and very clearly the power. It was as if God was speaking very clearly to my situation, to my unique story, to all of the questions that I was wrestling with at the time. And from that day forward, um, that was that was a day of transformation for me where where I literally surrendered my life to Jesus and said, I know that I've been running. I know that I have willfully rejected everything that I grew up learning about you, but yet you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And the fact that you would pursue me, um, I am giving you my life. And from that day forward was the trajectory which led to growth in community, to being discipled by people who had been walking with Jesus longer than me, um, which has led me on a long journey of going and getting a bachelor's degree, going to seminary, getting a master's degree, and and now being a pastor, which um, 10 years ago when I was, uh, well, now it's 12 years ago when I became a Christian, I would have never in a million years thought that I would be a pastor. And so I'm, I am eternally grateful to the grace of God. Um, I'm eternally grateful that we have a God who pursues us because left to our own devices, we will always run and we will always choose sin. It's like the great hymn says that we are prone to wander. And um, so that's a bit of my story. Mm, amen. Thank you so much for sharing that, John. 
All right. So our next story is, no offense to any of our story people coming up, but probably going to be my favorite one because it is my absolute favorite person in the whole entire world, my wife, Michelle Lindsay. So I'm really excited to have you on to the podcast for the first time. Thanks. Uh, and I'm excited, glad that you were willing to share your story <laughs> to set Are this you? picturesque scene with <laughs> sitting on our back porch right now. Uh it's a little warm, but there's a nice little breeze. Yeah, it's uh, fine in the shade. Yeah. So, um, Michelle, for those uh, who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and, you know, who your favorite person in the world is. I don't know, <laughs> just a random question. Yeah. So, and then you can just tell your story. I'm originally from the Twin Cities. Grew up in the church. Was one of those, like, well, I guess until high school, one of those diehard Jesus freaks. Once I got to high school, I kind of started taste in alcohol and realized like I could wear a mask on Sundays around my family and then have another side of me, the party side of me. And I grew up in the same town that my mom and all of her family grew up in. I went to the same high school as my mom. It was kind of one of those cities where you lived there, you married there, you died there sort of deal. And that was really unattractive to me. So I decided for college that I wanted to move as far away as I possibly could. I moved away from my, I'm the oldest of two sisters and then um, from my parents. So I moved 2000 miles away to Arizona State and I wanted a degree in journalism. So going to the Cronkite school seemed really appealing to me. I had a pretty big head at this point, to be honest. Like I felt that I worked hard and played hard really well and that I was able to like put on a show for whoever I needed to impress. So like I was able to do that with people at church. I was able to do that with people at work. I was able to do that with my friends, my family, you know, like I could put on a show to like appease them. And that's kind of what happened, to be honest. Like I, I remember like going through recruitment for sorority. Um, I remember joining all these different leadership organizations. Like I was just living the life, working really hard by day and partying really hard at night. And I thought that that was like pretty normal. I started struggling with an eating disorder, like, you know, in the midst of all of that too. And like, again, like my behaviors, I found myself in a lot of dangerous situations and I would continue to rationalize them as it's just college. This is like what you do. This is what everyone at ASU is doing or so I thought, you know, and that made me feel like I could keep on doing it. I had an excuse um, and I was blind to my, my problems. Like I didn't think I had any. So I continued living that way, um, even like fooling myself and going to church like every once in a while on the weekends, um, all the way through senior year. And that's kind of when stuff started going down. So I believe that this was God, like stopping me in my tracks and not allowing me to continue to pursue like the desires of my heart. Like I felt like all of a sudden he was like, no, there are like consequences for you living this way. And um, that meant getting caught um, asleep at the wheel after drinking and driving. So I had been like a part of this dodgeball league in between headers, did like beer bong, um, beer pong or whatever. Um, and so I had had a few too many, dropped off my friend after the game and then literally passed out. 
and at the wheel, like, thank God I didn't get hurt. No one else got hurt, you know, but, um, I remember like getting out of the car. Um, and this was really close by the university. (laughs) A lot of people could have seen me. Uh, but the one person who did see all this go down was like, you know, one of my like closest friends, like a guy that looked up to me as like a leader, um, someone who would have considered like my best, one of my best friends at the time. And as I'm failing the sobriety test, he is walking on the other side of the road, just like in shock of like, what's happening? You know, cause I had always been the one who knew the right people to like, I don't know, kind of avoid consequences or something, you know, like dodge, um, any sort of punishment. Well, I did not with the 10 feet police. So like they obviously weren't going to let this slide. And, um, it was the eve of mother's day and that wasn't even, I mean, that was low. I uh, felt completely embarrassed being caught. And, um, I kind of started wondering like if I had like a drinking problem and, Then I started rationalizing again, my decision-making and I didn't have to deal with any of the paperwork or whatever that had been sorted out that night for a few more months. So out of kind of like anger and again, trying to make myself feel better, rationalize, um, destructive decisions that I had been making, I said yes to this San Diego trip for the 4th of July. Me and a few college friends like rented this house right next to the boardwalk and, you know, 4th of July, somehow I ended up in a random house where I didn't know anyone. It was just a bunch of strangers. This is where it gets like weird because I was in San Diego not realizing that my younger sister who was involved with like a Christian um, club on on campus, they, she was taking a mission trip to San Diego. She was only like two blocks away from the house that we were staying at. So she is walking down the boardwalk and sees me in the mess of myself and concerned, like goes in, pulls me out of the party and brings me back to her apartment where, you know, all of these like Christian college students are, I don't know, probably like praying and doing like holy things. And I'm just belligerently answering all of her questions about like, what is going on? Like, what have I been hiding? I answer them uncensored, like that I'm struggling with an eating disorder, that I got a DUI, that I feel like lost, like I don't really have any friends that like my life was actually in shambles, even though I was trying to keep this facade that I was thriving. And so she obviously concerned, wanted to get me support and resources. Um, so my parents got involved. I started doing like outpatient um, treatment for my eating disorder. And yeah, then the month started approaching where I had a deal with the legal um, side of things for my DUI. So that meant like a lot of paperwork, a lot of embarrassing like questions that had to be answered, trying to like find a lawyer, like should I find a lawyer, feeling broke, maxing out my credit card to pay like fines. Um, and like being so ashamed of like, no one would have thought Michelle would get a DUI. So being ashamed, so ashamed of that, like I didn't invite anyone into this. Like I didn't want anyone to know. And, um, 
Yeah. So the bus ride to jail, because I couldn't drive myself there. Um, yeah, I felt so alone in my mess. Like I didn't have anyone to really like be honest with to like help me out. And I spent 24 hours in jail, got out Christmas Eve, and I never wanted to go back. Um, at that point, I was still kind of like talking to a former boyfriend who, I don't know, out of the blue called me to like check on me. I think he, maybe he had, I had let him in about this whole like DUI situation. And so he was like going through a major life change himself and just kind of started prodding really personal questions about my relationship with God. Cause we had both grown up Christian, but obviously I wasn't living into that. And so he started asking me, you know, like, how often do you pray? Like, how often do you read your Bible? You know, just like questions that I could have interpreted as being legalistic. But at the time I was like, no, I, if I'm going to call myself a Christian, like, can I really answer these things? And I was like, I mean, I know like the stories, but my answer to you is like, I don't read my Bible and pray. Like I go to church every once in a while so that I can feel better about myself. But like, I can't remember the last time I opened up my Bible. And before he would hang up, he made me promise that I would commit to doing that for 30 days. And so I was like, okay, like more annoyed, but I really felt the weight of that promise. And so I did, I prayed before going to work every morning, I would lay my Bible out on the kitchen table, starting with the Gospels and just read out loud for as long as I could before I had to leave. And um, these are stories that I'm familiar with that I had been growing up and acting out in skits and what have you, you know, since I was four. But at the age of 21, I found myself like weeping on the pages of my Bible. Um, it was like all of a sudden the God who had finally allowed me to experience the consequences of my sin by getting a DUI, the God who had sent my sister to draw me out of that party in San Diego was the same God who became flesh, performed miracles, befriended outsiders, no-namers, sinners, and then carried the weight of all that to the cross. And Jesus was no longer this like distant figure. Jesus was like the, the character that you fall in love with, you know, like on your favorite Netflix show or something like the one where you're on the edge of your seat and you are pulled in emotionally. And when they die, oh my gosh, it's just like heartbreaking. I had never felt that before for Jesus. And like, this is a true story, right? This isn't something on the movie screens. All of a sudden, God allowed me to like see myself for who I am. He like broke my pride. And then he mercifully showed me who he was. And I thought I knew both of those things already. But a couple decades later, the truth like showed up and I got it. So shortly after that, this is where it gets kind of muddled for me. I just got rid of all the alcohol in my fridge. I didn't need it. I didn't have any interest in drinking anymore. I kind of distanced myself from the friends that I had been hanging out with at that point. Because to be honest, I felt like my interests were like changing. Like they weren't the same. I didn't want to like go out to like the clubs or the bars anymore. I was just interested in new things. And I found myself at Praxis. Right after the first service, I ran into 
like an acquaintance um, from college. And she was like, Hey, I'm going to get plugged into a small group. Like you want to join me? And like, I hadn't seen this girl or knew for like a few years and I didn't even know her very well, but I was like, yeah, sure. Like, why not? And then I think a week after getting plugged into that small group, like I took the membership class. Like it was just kind of a, I have nothing to hold back. Like there are, there's no hesitancy for me anymore. Like I know what I want. Like I know that God, I know that God wants me. Like I know that he is near. And so I want to draw close to whatever that is. That's amazing. Thank you very much for sharing your story. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, again, find myself even retelling it kind of embarrassed and like ashamed, but like we all have our stuff and our God is so much bigger than it. And so I hope that me sharing this, like it doesn't matter how far down the rabbit hole you are, that like our God will pursue you. And if you're in the midst of dealing with consequences, you know, like whether it's like legal stuff or whatever, like don't give up because we serve a big God and he has a lot of resources and this isn't going to last forever. Push in. Amen. Well, thank you again for sharing your story. Let's hear the next one. All right. I'm excited about our next guest here. Uh, His name is Daniel Stone. So without further ado, Daniel, why don't you tell us who you are, what you do, a little bit about yourself, how long you've been at Redemption. Just kind of give us the basics here. Sure. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I am currently an instructional coach uh, for an online school. I've been doing that for the last almost three years. Uh, I have worked with many online schools and uh, taught in the classroom. So I kind of have a diverse but um, background with education and uh, been doing that since I got out of college. And um, my wife, Melissa Stone, is here at Redemption, the um, coordinator for the special needs ministry. And uh, again, she's been doing that for over a year, I think. Um, we love kids, obviously, but part of our story is we have four kids of our own, one who has special needs. So that's part of what brought us here. Uh, we were part of Redemption years ago, back when it was Praxis. Um, and so it was good to come back. We've been back here about three years now. And uh, it's awesome to see how God has changed the church and grown the church and is currently working through the church. And so we're glad to be here. Mm, amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. And we we have realized uh, over the last year or two that you and I have a connection because the marketing job that I used to work at is actually through the school that you're working at now. So there's some some common ties. Um, we really appreciate you and Melissa and just having you guys as a part of our church. And, uh, and I really even appreciate you being willing to share your story. Uh, so, um, Daniel, could you go ahead and, and t- share your story with us uh, about rebellion and how God met you in it uh, and what that looks like for you? Absolutely. Um, it's a pleasure to, to give God glory in stories like this. Mine is a, a, a story of struggle and rebellion. Um, I, I grew up in a Christian home. So, you know, if there is a stereotype for the rebel without a cause, I was it. Uh, my parents were there for me. You know, I had dinner on the table every night. I, I had no excuses. Uh, they took me to church. They were kind to me. Um, my brother and I had a, we played sports and your stereotypical suburban upbringing. Um, but their God was not my God. And to be honest, though, they remember me professing Christianity at a young age. Um, it's hard for me to know how sincere that was. Um, you know, a five-year-old 
asking Jesus into his heart in the, you know, in his room because I don't know, he did some like knocked over his brother's tower or something. You know, I, I don't want to um, question the sincerity there, but I know as soon as I was old enough, I started um, making choices that were went against everything that I was taught. And um, those choices spiraled. So, you know, at a young age, I started drinking, smoking, partying, trying to look for influences that were um, not what my parents would want, obviously. Um, and I was curious about it. So I was the the kind, I guess, of, of rebel that is, um, I guess, that is scary because there was nothing that I, I didn't draw a line. I didn't even know the difference. If I saw somebody do something that I was curious about, nobody had to try to tempt me into it. Nobody tried to talk me into things. I walked right into it. And I found myself in enjoying things and getting um, more and more involved. And that turned into a cycle of addiction that has haunted me to this day, if I'm honest. you know. And, and I started things at, very young, uh, at a very young age, which is difficult because... When you start into habits that form addictions prior to being able to handle the emotions of it or see the backside, see the, the negative consequences of it, it really settles in and gets in there deep. And, and so um, my, that's the course my rebellion took. I, I might have said at the time that I believed in God, but um, as I got further and further, the concept of God got more and more general. Um, it was maybe a spirituality that sat in the back of my mind, maybe a, you know, a conscience that, okay, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. But again, as I spiraled more and more, I just, and I'm an addict's addict. I kind of, you know, from my parents and, and uh, other family members, it's in the family, which is no excuse, but it is a kind of a predisposition almost to a, like a tipping point. And so I, I got addicted to everything I touched and um, I found myself soon um, finding it harder to fly under the radar. I mean, I did, I, I ended up graduating high school, um, but, you know, I was getting in trouble at school. I was getting in trouble with the law. I was finding myself, you know, like in, in um, darker and darker places, uh, more and more lonely. I was involved in a relationship that was very destructive. And um, gosh, all, all my it, all my relationships broke, family, friends. You know, I, I just found myself farther and farther from who I thought I was, from the background that I was, you know, I was taught. And it reached a, a point where, I don't know, maybe it's the bottom of the barrel point that people talk about. It certainly was for me. And you talk about how the clearest, you know, stars you can see are from the, the bottom of the barrel, the darkest places. And, and that's kind of what happened when, um, you know, I had dropped out of school. I, I had, you know, I don't want to go into too many details, but um, it had just gotten so bad. One day I woke up and I, I realized, I'm like, man, where? It almost like a, a prodigal son moment. What What am I doing? I'm eating out of the, the pig's trough when I, you know, my, my father's house was good. My father loved me. Um, I, and it was in, integral. That what, the way my parents treated me and the testimony and the teaching that I had, I, I remembered all that. It wasn't that I didn't know. I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't know the truth. I knew and I had denied it. I had walked away, eyes wide open, on purpose, away from God. And I 
one day said, what am I doing? God woke me up. That was my moment. It wasn't like I, I mean, there were times that I kind of came crawling back or begged for mercy, but it was because God had already met me. He had already said, that's far enough. And my, my eyes were open and I stopped. I stopped right there. And there were things that were overnight changes. You know, like I, um, I was a, a drug addict and there was, and I stopped, you know, it was like on again, off again, boom, done. You know, like sometimes people are, Oh, I'm going to quit. I'm going to cut down. So that was one of those things that just, you know, done. God changed that. And then there were other things that again, haunted me for for 20 years following that, you know, where it wasn't this night and day thing. It was like, okay, there were consequences of that rebellion. And you know, it was that was that time real? Very much so. I, I look at that as my salvation moment. I look at that as the time when God said, okay, you know what? Um, that's far enough. But that wasn't necessarily the end of my struggle. God reached into my life and showed me my need for him, showed me that he's bigger than my sin, that, that grace is sufficient for me personally. It wasn't somebody else's God, that he was my God, that he knew where I was, that he had, even looking back, had been faithful throughout the midst of all my rebellion, that he had been protecting others, protecting me. I mean, it's only by his grace I didn't kill anybody, that I didn't spiral into depression. And, and you know, um, and so I carried that with me. That, that's been something that I've never forgotten because even, you know, I'm an older guy now, a little bit, you know, middle age, 41, whatever you want to call that stage of life. Um, but continuing out from there, some of those addictions did continue, and, and they did fly under the radar. I, I, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I'm sober now, um, coming up on three years. But, you know, that's that's a long time. I mean, I started drinking when I was, what, 12? You know, and, and for a long time, I thought I was just the party drinker and all that stuff. But, you know, it was a few years back that um, a friend sat down with me. We had a, a good, long conversation. And by the end of it, I realized, hey, I, I really do think I'm I'm an alcoholic. I need help. And, you know, you think after it had been, you know, almost 20 years that I had been walking with God in faithfulness, see, seeing him, serving, leading small groups, being part of church leadership, preaching on Sundays. And here it was like, okay, my rebellion is, it's not, it's not something that it, it's just gone, you know, gone here today, gone tomorrow. It's the orientation of my heart and God, I, I need God now as much as I did then. My rebellion is just as um, alive and well, if left unchecked, than it was prior to God reaching into my life. It's not a one-time thing. It's not a plateau, mountaintop moment. God walks with us. Mm. And I saw his faithfulness again. I saw my wife, who was crushed, but loving and faithful, walk with me through that. I saw friends come alongside me. I saw the church rally around us. I saw family and, and friends speak life into me and remind me, because it was crushing to me too. I mean, it's hard to wake up one day and realize you've been lying to yourself for 20 years. You know, that kind of, the capacity for self-deception was just, well, I, again, I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but I, I, I think the the idea I want to communicate was that rebellion's not just you don't just wake up from it. Sin is is a, a restless enemy, and our hearts are are desperately wicked. And without the intervention of God, the rebellion in our hearts does run amok. And so it's a day to day thing. Um, 
I think we see that a little bit in Jonah. I don't want to get too much into the story, but yeah, I've, I've always kind of um, connected with Jonah because at first you, you kind of think, oh, it's really kind of a trite guy. You know, he's, he's got, you know, some serious issues, you know, um, but just the, the fact that even the way the story leaves off, he doesn't, it's not like it at the end, he's the perfect picture. Right. He, he never is. There's no, there's no point in the story in which you think, okay, that was his redeeming moment and now he's arrived. Like that's, and that's not the case with us either. I think it's a constant thing where God um, understands our rebellion. He loves us anyway. And he does something about it, not just 2000 years ago, but day to day as he tugs on our heart and says, Hey, that's far enough. He's, he did that, you know, when I was 20 years old, he's doing it now. Um, and, and conviction of sin, these are gifts. These are gifts from God um, to help keep us from, I mean, running, you know, crazy. I, I think about my own kids and how they just want us to let them do whatever they want. And we know as parents, that's the worst possible thing that could happen for them. I mean, we get that. Like that's that I think that's a piece of the glory of God in us is the understanding that um, like his image, maybe not glory, but his image is that we know if we just did everything we wanted to, it would absolutely be terrible. For us. <laughs> and so I'm thankful that God loves rebels. I'm thankful that he, he cares enough to do something about it. And I guess that's where I'll leave off. Yeah, that's great. And, and I think it made me think of, the story of Jonah in general is uh, I have similar um, leanings towards that book. It's, it's good because you think, I mean, the book is titled after Jonah, but it's actually not really a story about Jonah. It's really a story about God's love for all people. And, and that's what Jonah finds so incredulous is like, really, God, you could even love the Ninevites? How? how? <laughs> and, and God shows his love for even Jonah in that moment in giving him grace and mercy. So um, there's a lot to your story that, that I can relate with. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast can relate with. So um, I like to throw people off a little bit. Uh, Just kidding. Sort of. (laughs) I didn't, I didn't prep you with this question, but let me just throw this out to you. If there are people listening right now who are still, who would say like, I'm at the bottom of the barrel. Um, I'm going to church, I'm going through the motions, but I am struggling and I don't know what to do. And it's all in the dark. Um, what would you say to them? What would be a hopeful message uh, of God to them or some wisdom, uh, that you would want to impart to those people listening? Uh, it's a great question. An important question. Um, cause a lot of time, you know, everybody's got an answer, you know, psychology and 12 step programs and, you know, our parents, <laughs> um, and they, I, I think they're all well-intentioned and, uh, my answers are no, no better or worse. I would say, um, that the answer is in God and not in our response to our addictions. Sometimes the struggle is there and, and will always be there. I mean, I, I hate to say that because, you know, in one way that can be discouraging that it's like, Oh, you mean this is going to be something that I struggle with the rest of my life? It might be, it might be. Um, and that doesn't mean that it's hopeless. It doesn't mean that the struggle, uh, there's no victory in it. Um, but if if we find our identity in God and not in, um, purity or, you know, sobriety Mm -hmm. or, um, abstinence or whatever it is, then, then there is hope. 
Mm. You know, because God does love the broken. God does love sinners. He doesn't want us to stay in that. Um, but our identity is not our sin. And so, um, so there is that I would say to not give up the hope. Mm. Um, the bottom of the barrel is, um, a place where God lives. I mean, he's a God of the desert. He's a God of wandering. Um, he understands the struggle and the, um, the pain. Um, and so he's not a, a high priest who doesn't get that, you know, like if anything can be said about God, he's, he's a, a God who understands that. And so plunge in, you know, push into God. Don't run away. Um, if you have run away, then know that you've not run too far. You know, like there's no distance, there's no sin. And I have found that because I've explored every avenue. Um, there's no sin that cannot be, um, forgiven. You know, I mean, I, I don't want to get into the theological, you know, whatever this, this, and that, you know, but, um, you know, God's, he's bigger than drugs. He's bigger than alcohol. He's bigger than pornography. He's bigger than addictions. And, um, so there, there is victory in that. And so don't, don't give up, you know, like, and be willing to admit. I mean, I think that as a recovering alcoholic, one of the big, biggest things is being able to admit and talk through it, find people who have found victory, find people who have struggled like you and are coming out the other side. None of us, well, I shouldn't say that. Some of us um, n- never fully come out the other mm-hmm. side. But find people who are, you know, I, I know several 60, 70-year-old guys who are talking about 30, 40 years of sobriety. Those are guys I want to be around. You know, like I see them, and they're still going to meetings. So it's not like they've they, they've stopped fighting, but they're they're continuing in, in a, I sense, in victory. Mm. So find, find those people, find people who won't give up on you. And well, thank you very much, Daniel, for sharing your story, uh, and, uh, and the wisdom in general. Uh, I appreciate it. All right. Our next story, uh, on rebellion is with, uh, another friend and colleague of mine, Mark King. Mark, thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit more about yourself and then just jump right into your story of rebellion. Yeah. Thanks for having me on Greg. So I, I work at redemption. I teach the fifth and sixth graders here. It's called Base Camp. I love it. I work with the college students here. So I lead our college collective on campus at ASU, um, just evangelizing and ministering to the college students at ASU. I'm married, been married for almost a year now, and my wife is pregnant. She's actually due anytime. The due date is May 10th, so we're we're super excited about that. I can't wait. We're having a daughter or a girl. Um so, yeah, man, life is really well, especially from the story that I'm about to tell. Um, God has done some amazing things and has been very faithful to me my entire life. So, I'll just hop right into my story. When I was about eight years old, I remember being in church and having this just tugging at my heart. Our pastor was doing an altar call and really feeling God like moving in my heart and re- me really believing in the gospel. So I remember like doing the altar call, going up to the front, giving my life to Jesus. And every day my mom or every weekend, my mom was taking us to church. We were going to church, did that up until like high school. And then high school came around and life started getting busy, started getting crazy. And God just kind of got put on the back burner. And it was never that I didn't believe in God. It was just, I would rather live my life for myself. And the people that I was around shaped a lot of who I was. And God wasn't at the forefront of their minds or um, 
Jesus wasn't the Lord of their life. And so I probably got shaped a lot more by my culture than my faith. And then as I was going through high school, this just continued to happen. And I started living more for what our culture said was going to give us life than what for than what Jesus actually says is going to bring us life. And graduate from high school, start going to college, going to GCU. And all my buddies are at ASU and I'm living in Tempe. And I'm just trying to honestly live like the typical college life. Go to school, work, and party. Chase girls and have fun. That's pretty much like all that I wanted to do. And that's what I did. And I remember my junior year, I started dating this girl, really liked her, fell in love, thought this was the one. Senior year, she dumps me. And yeah, you're laughing right now because you know how that is. Um, But yeah, she dumps me. And so I'm brokenhearted and I don't really know how to handle my feelings or my emotions. And so all of my friends are going to a music festival. And this is actually on Valentine's Day, 2016. And so it's kind of romantic how God moves in this story. But I had just been like running away from God my entire life, wanting to live my life for myself, never actually wanting to surrender to Jesus. If anybody ever asked me, like, do you believe in Jesus? I'd be like, absolutely, I believe in Jesus. But there was no aspect in my life where I actually showed that I believed in Jesus. And so I'm, I'm broken. My buddies are like, hey, let's go to this music festival. I'm like, let's do it. So we go there. We're drinking. We're doing drugs. We're just doing what we think is the appropriate thing to do at music festivals. And this thing is from like six in the afternoon till three in the morning. So it's just forever long. Two o'clock rolls around and a new DJ gets on set and the entire atmosphere, just the vibe of the place changed. He started playing really dark, ominous music. And then all of a sudden, this voice speaks to me. I mean, as clear as we're speaking right now, but it was inside me. And it was not my conscious. It was a voice I've never heard before. And his voice tells me, Mark, look around. You're living your life for the devil. In that moment, I felt so much fear. I was so terrified. I barely could breathe. It felt like my chest was constricting. And all I wanted to do was just like yell, scream, get out of there. And so I grabbed my two best friends and I'm like, hey guys, I got to tell you something. So I'm just trying to get out of my head and I'm telling myself, these are probably the drugs. You're probably just tripping out. It's probably just drugs like relax, have a good time, forget about it. And about 10 seconds later, that voice comes back just as loud, just as clear and says, Mark, look around you. When are you going to start living your life for me? And I know we're talking about Jonah, but in this moment, it felt like Paul's story when he was going to Damascus and Jesus blinds him. And then he goes to Damascus and he gets healed. And it says like these scales fell from his eyes. That's literally what it felt like in that moment. It literally felt like God had removed these scales from my eyes and I could see what was happening. And I'm not saying this for every festival, but for me in that moment, the way that God was revealing to me is like how demonic it was at that moment. And it terrified me. 
And so much anxiety started to build in me and I just had to get out. And so I run out of the the warehouse, open the door and it felt like this wind just hit me and I could actually like breathe. It like hit me and it was like almost as if the Holy Spirit had entered me and I took this deep breath and then just started bawling. And so I'm confused. I'm crying. In this moment, I was actually like weirdly joyful. And so I was like, I just got to leave. And so I run, I get in a taxi, go home, get in the shower. And I just start crying my eyes out and I'm praying to God. And I'm like, I can't do this anymore. I have been running from you my entire life and I'm exhausted. This is just not working. I can't keep trying to white knuckle this and muster up my own strength because it's not working. Everything that I try to do outside of your strength is not working. So whatever I have to do to follow you, I'll do it. All I ask is just you, that you use me. And I don't think in that moment I even understood how powerful of a prayer that was. But also in that moment, that was the first time in my entire life I actually repented. Because there have been times where I ask God to forgive me of my sins, you know, because I still would have said like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. And so I'll ask him to forgive my sins of the bad things I do, but then I'm going to go do those exact same things. But in this moment, I was like, no, I can't do this anymore. Like I cannot keep running from you. I have to live my life for you. And in that moment, I was like, dude, my life is going to get awesome because the next day is Sunday. And so I can't even go to sleep. I go to sleep at like four in the morning. I wake up at six. I'm waiting for church to start at nine. And I'm like, gosh, dang, why can't we have an earlier service? Like, I just want to be at church. And I start going to church every single Sunday. I start reading my Bible like crazy, start reading. Yeah. Start reading my Bible like crazy, start praying every day. And I really thought like, dang, everything is going to work out. And like, my life is actually going to start getting better. And it started to get a lot worse where my girlfriend actually started dating me again and then broke up with me again. And my friends all stopped hanging out with me because I didn't want to go out and do the things that they were doing anymore. I didn't have any Christians in my life. I started attending redemption, but at that time it was a lot harder to get connected. And I just felt completely isolated. I felt like God had rescued me and then abandoned me. And it was hard. But through that, God started to reveal to me how faithful he actually was to me. And all those trials that I went through, even after repenting and giving my life to Christ, he showed me how much I could actually trust him. And that is what catapulted me into what I do now. He put me through all of that just so that I could truly trust in who he is and what he says he's going to do and his love for me and his grace. And now I'm, I'm here, I'm in full-time ministry and I have the most beautiful, wonderful wife you could ever imagine who loves the Lord and is nine months pregnant. And so, yeah, kind of like Jonah, man, I I did not want to, didn't want to do what God said, but in his sovereignty, he made sure that he's going to bring me back to himself. He always, uh, seems to have a way to find you even as far as you run. Um, and even before we were talking here or before we started recording, you know, Mark, you and I were talking about your story and, um, and that's the thing that struck me is the, the quickness of transformation. Uh, it it seems like the, the quicker the transformation, the harder it is, the more growing pains there are. Um, and, and I think that that's an important point. Um, 
it, it doesn't, Jesus doesn't promise like, follow me and your life will be perfect and happy and bright and sunny and cheery. There are things, there's still trials and tribulations uh, that we are called to through being believers. And so, so thank you so much for sharing your story with us and uh, we appreciate you. Wow. Wow. Those were, those were good stories. It's, It's always good to hear how God is moving and what God is doing, even in the face of rebellion, his love and his grace and the way he draws us toward him. So great. I can't wait till next week. That's all the time we have for this week. So we'll, we'll catch you then. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Tempe podcast, where we believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Our vision is to create disciples who seek reconciliation and restoration of Tempe. We are a multi-congregation church, and our service times at our Tempe location are 9 a.m., 11 a.m., and 6 p.m. To learn more about us or to get plugged into the life of the church by tapping the connect button on our app, we would love to hear any feedback or questions you have. Please send them to Tempe Podcast at RedemptionAZ.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.